welcome to New York Women in Film and Television's Women Crush Wednesday podcast. I'm your host, Ginny McGoldrick, and since I'm flying solo today, we're going to get right to it. After a whirlwind of great episodes last month that included Sigourney Weaver, Essie Davis, and cast members from The Walking Dead, we are back with two more great conversations. First, if your sad Halloween is over, don't be, because Giovanna has a great talk with Hocus Pocus 2 screenwriter Jen D'Angelo. Over to you, Giovanna. Hi, this is Giovanna Aguilar, and I'm excited to share with you an interview I did recently with Jen D'Angelo, who is the woman behind some of the most anticipated female lead stories in film and TV. She joins us to share how she got involved with Hocus Pocus 2, which is currently on Disney Plus, and the soon-to-be-released untitled Sisters Comedy Project from 20th Century Studios, which is directed by Jessica Yu and stars Sandra Oh and Aquafina. The film is produced by Gloria Sanchez, founders Will Farrell and Jessica Elbaum, along with Artists First. Jen is becoming the writer lead women are seeking out to work with as her scripts are funny, smart, and real to female voices. Thank you for tuning in to the film industry's leading podcast on women in film. Well, Jen, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. How exciting this time for you with the release of Hocus Pocus, (laughs) which I, I saw a couple of weeks ago. Congratulations on that and that it's on Disney. And uh, before getting on to how you got involved with the film, I want to learn a little bit about you so our audience can know how you got started in the film industry. And um, because I believe you're an actress, correct? Um, I am also an actress. Yeah. yeah. So so share a little bit about your background, how you you, uh, wear these different hats. Yeah. I mean, I have always known that I wanted to be a writer Um, when I was seven in second grade, my school did this like project where you would just write um uh you would just write a book and then the like the PTA would basically they would bind it and then you would do all the illustrations yourself so you had like a little book at the end of this little project and i just remember doing that and being like i am a published author i am a novelist like i just fell in love with it and so i was always writing stories on the side um in middle school i started a ya fantasy novel that i still one day dream of finishing oh my god uh, yeah i just was always writing and then sort of in uh high school is when i really got into comedy um and so i was doing um i went to school uh right outside philadelphia in the suburbs and i started doing this children's theater company, uh, in the city. And they had like an improv group that we would perform. Um, we would perform with just sort of like all over random venues, um, and go to each other's schools and stuff. I just fell in love with performing and writing comedy. And so I was writing, I started writing plays. And then when I went to college, um, I went to Northwestern to study writing because they have a really amazing screenwriting and playwriting program. And so I was just, yeah, writing movies and plays and uh, spec TV pilots all throughout college while also performing improv and stand-up comedy on the side. Um, And then when I graduated college, I just moved out to LA and was just doing all the same stuff, just writing and performing all the time. 
<laughs> while oh. working odd jobs. Right when I got out here, I immediately started doing UCB, um, which is the comedy theater out here. And so that was like a great community to jump into as well. Ah, well, thank you for sharing that. So I, I did um, learn that you were also a fan of Hocus Pocus growing up. And so how did that a journey come to you in having this opportunity to script the a sequel? Yeah, I mean, it was so crazy. I mean, I loved Hocus Pocus so much. I watch it every Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> and I love, um, you know, I love like horror comedy and also just like magic and fantasy elements. Like I love blending all of that stuff. And Hocus Pocus is such a funny, witchy, scary, you know, it's so unique. And I, um, you know, I had, I had been writing a bunch of TV at that point and I knew that I wanted to get into features. Um, but it's really hard to make the jump. And so I had written just like a sample feature script. That was just something that I wrote to just make myself laugh. And that had been passed around. Um, so some people like sort of knew that script and they knew my voice a little bit. And so when Disney was meeting with people to um, talk about a sequel to Hocus Pocus, they reached out to my agent. They were like, would she be interested? And my agent emailed me being like, do you want to talk to Disney about Hocus Pocus? And I could not uh -huh. respond fast enough. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, I absolutely do. Oh my God. That's <laughs> an amazing story. Yeah. I know. I was so excited. And then I, you know, had like, I think like two weeks or something to come up with kind of like my full pitch. And so it was just two weeks of being like living in the Hocus Pocus world and falling in love with these new characters that I was creating and just being like, oh, I hope so badly that I get to do this. Well, that was wonderful. I really enjoyed the film. I don't want to reveal too much. So if we can share a little bit, where do we find these wonderful rich characters in 2022? That started um, with well, I mean, you come coming in with uh, Sarah, Sarah Jessica Parker, Betty Bette Midler, and this incredible cast. How was yeah. it to work with them? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was incredible. I um, couldn't believe it. Honestly, <laughs> like there were so many moments where, you know, they were just like pinch me moments of being like, I can't believe I'm on set with Winifred, Mary, and Sarah and Billy. Um, like seeing all of them in their costume and just seamlessly fall back into these characters that they hadn't, you know, they've done a few things as those characters, but it's been almost 30 years since the original and they just immediately fell right back into it as if, you know, the original was yesterday and it was so cool to see. And yeah, I mean, I, I loved like, even when I first started coming up with the story, it just was so fun to imagine like, how they would view this world and how our world is like, even, you know, it's so different even from 1993. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I loved exploring the idea of like, what does it mean to be a witch now? And also like, what is our relationship to youth and beauty now? And, you know, in some ways I feel like it's healthier. And in some ways I feel like it's kind of the same where we're still like, <laughs> still being sort of uh we're getting that messaging all the time of like, you've got to stay young and beautiful forever. There's also the fun part of it of just being like, I like looking amazing and I'm not afraid to be a little vain. <laughs> and so I think there's like a fun balance right. in that too. Yeah. Well, that's what I found that was really, the characters were true to the original and they brought it, you know, brought even more of like what they were working in, in this new 20, well, I would say not, I don't know if 
you were thinking exact year when you did that, but them coming back, how they came back and how these other junk, younger generations are almost now paying it, like passing on the torch, right? To the younger generation in a way. Yeah. Yeah, that was really fun. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you conceptualized it? Um, in, in other words, we as filmmakers always are inspired by something, right? And this was a film that you really enjoyed growing up. Was there a moment where you're just like, oh, you know, how, where would I take this character now? Or like, you know, something like that spark that seed in, in terms of now you developing the screenplay? Yeah. I mean, I really just thought back to like, you know, me watching Hocus Pocus every Halloween right. growing up and thinking, you know, like I, I love the Sanderson sisters and so do so many people. I mean, they are Hocus Pocus and, you know, there's, they've just become such lasting figures in our culture and like they own Halloween, you know, and I really wanted to explore sort of like why that is and also honor the fact that we like love these characters, even though they're evil and they straight up kill a child in the first one. Um, <laughs> they are villains. The character of Becca really came from me and just thinking like, you know, when I was a little kid who was like really into all this stuff and felt like I was such a little weirdo for being really into like magic and crystals and Halloween and zombies and all this spooky stuff. I really wanted to create a character that that version of me would have been so excited to see. Um, and so that's where Becca came from, you know, this sort of cool character who's like into witchcraft and isn't really apologetic about it. And she has her best friend with her and like they you know, have this great friendship. And yeah, that was sort of where that came from was just wanting to create something for like exploring sisterhood in a way that would feel we're honoring the Sanderson sisters so that it sort of appeals to people who are my age now. And then we're also exploring it through these teens who I feel like are really great role model characters for young girls. So between you getting brought onto the project, and the production happening about, can you tell us a little bit about that process? Do you feel that the the film was honoring your original ideas or how did that evolve, that relationship between you and the studio? It was wild. I mean, <laughs> it was a really long process. I mean, I was hired in early 2019 and then um, worked on it basically until the summer, like July of 2021. And then I had a little break and then I came back in uh, September and I moved to Rhode Island and I was in Rhode Island for um, all of filming. And so, you know, the script changed so much in those two years of working on it. And then it changed a lot, even just like during production, you know, there were just all sorts of fun things that caused you to have to sort of move things around or change things. And so, yeah, it was it was interesting because there's, there's so much that has changed and there's so much that has dropped out, but it does really feel, it, it feels like the original, I mean, the original. Like their script. essence. Yeah. Right. And, and, um, yeah. And that's, an, well, I think we all have to, you know, um, we all have to work within the parameters of what we've given as creatives, but were, was there ever a time that you, you, um, and then it's also, we have to come to bat for what we believe, like, no, 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 no. Is this, you can't change this. Was there a moment like this that really you were able to to um, convey a specificity of your script that 
in the long run worked out the way you envisioned it? I would say I fought really hard for Billy (laughs) Um, because I love Billy so much. And, you know, there were just there was never really a conversation of doing it without Billy, but, you know, as things were sort of shifting and we were moving things, like I really loved the idea of Billy and Gilbert having this sort of friendship and adventure together. And so um, that was something that as we were sort of like shifting things around and like having to, you know, be creative, I was like, we can't lose this Billy Gilbert thing. Um, But luckily I had a lot of support on that as well. I mean, the two, um, Disney execs that were overseeing this, Jess Virtue and Rachel Young, are like huge Hocus Pocus fans and they have so much love for the property and they really get it. And so when I was like, Billy has to be in this movie, they were like, we agree. Uh (laughs) Uh, So yeah, it felt like we were, everyone was like very much on the same page. Like that was what was so great about it. I really loved just writing this story about sisterhood and female friendships. No, I think that that that, that was really really great and i think we need more stories like that that show the power of women working together or being there for each other which leads me into um my question into how was it on the set working with so many women or the women that were you know part of the cast how was that process it was amazing like to be able to like write this script and then have the women come in um sarah jessica uh kathy and bet and then also Whitney, Belisa, and Lilia, who played Becca, Cassie, and Izzy, and Freud Gutierrez, who played Mike, and Sam Richardson, and Tony Hale. Like, everybody, you know, when they signed on, they they brought so much to the characters. And it was really fun to kind of be like, you know, my this is my pretentious writerly way of describing character work, um, <laughs> which is that I feel like it's like sculpting a statue where the writer, like, basically creates the shape, you know, they like they find it in there and then the actor comes in and does all like the fine detail work with you. And it's sort of like, now we're going to really shape the nose or whatever (laughs) Um, that it really feels like it was such a fun collaboration in that way of just being like, okay, here's this character. And what did you see in this character and what more would you like sort of brought out? It was really fun doing it with Bet and Kathy and Sarah Jessica because the scariest day of my life was when they were like, we've sent the script to them and now we oh. wait to hear what they say. I was like, oh my Sorry. gosh. Oh my God. How exciting, but nerve wracking too, right? Totally. Then one of the best days was when I found out that Bet wanted to zoom with me to just go through the script. And she had like a couple thoughts on like her dialogue and some stuff that she wanted in there. And that Zoom was incredible because it started off with her just being like, I, I think you you got our voices. I was I was impressed. And I was like, go. oh my God, I did it. And then, yeah, we went through it together and just found like little moments that she wanted to explore more and, you know, put her spin on. And it was really fun to just sort of find Winifred together with her. Uh, well, that's wonderful. And I think when we think of, um, you know, whether it's handing over a script for someone to read or going on location and we become a team, but trust is such a big component of making a film successful and the crew. What was your relationship or how did you work with Anne Fletcher, with the director? How did that um, gel in this experience? It was fun. I mean, like it was really cool when I went, when I went out there in September, which was like a month before we started filming. And so we were starting to get locations, you know, and we had a bunch of like, 
props and production design was already being built. And so the world was already kind of coming to life. And it was fun to work with Anne in that capacity of being like, okay, here are, here are the things that we have, here are the things that we potentially could have, like, um, you know, it's all a puzzle. And so it was fun to really sit in there and be like, okay, here are the puzzle pieces. Um, and you know, here's one that doesn't fit that we have to make fit. And so it really, yeah, it was fun to sort of have that process of figuring out how do we fit into these locations and then also falling in love with the, um, with the incredible set that they built for the, Mm -hmm the prologue, like the 1600 Salem, like looked so incredible. That was phenomenal. Yeah. It was so cool. And Anne was just like, when she saw it, she was like, I love this. And like, we need to figure out a way to see it in present day. Like um, we can't just destroy it. Like it needs to be preserved as a historical village and we need to have just like some scene. And so that was where that scene of like Becca and Izzy biking into the woods and going through that. And yeah, that was just all born out of a love for like this incredible set that we had. That was amazing. And well, that's a nice backstory. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So, so question for you with Hocus Pocus 2 out now um, and you, you know, working as an actor, as a producer and as a writer, is there any aspirations to head into directing as well? Yeah. Um, I directed a short, um, over the summer that I had oh. so much fun making. Yeah. yeah. What's the short about? Sure. Thanks. Um, it's about a woman who thinks her house is haunted. So she hires an exorcist. Um, so it's like a thriller comedy. Um, uh, cool. A thriller comedy on a haunted house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I being on Hocus Pocus and then, um, I went straight into my, Aquafina, Sandra O oh, movie, which right, right. Um, mm-hmm. was a script that I wrote where they play sisters. And we shot that over the summer in New Orleans. And I was a producer on that as well. And so I was on set every day. And so, yeah, I had that right after Hocus Pocus. And so it was two back-to-back set experiences. Um, and I've had more experiences on set before that as well. And I just really fell in love with production and um, I love being on set and I love sort of bringing worlds to life and I love working with actors. And, um, so yeah, I was like, I really want to explore directing. So I wrote a short and my friend, Mark Underhill, who's like this incredible producer. Um, he just helped me put it all together. And we shot that over two days with a very little budget. (laughs) So it was intense, but it was very fun. Oh my God. Two days. That's amazing. Yeah. Any tips on that? Any tips for Think we're always trying to figure out how to save money or how to make something happen with the totally least, right with the least amount of money. I know. I mean, I truly, my friend Mark, uh, he's incredible. He had like bootstrapped a feature on his own, uh, like a couple years before that. And so, I guess my advice is like find a person who has, if you don't have the organizational skills <laughs> yourself, um, or if you don't have a brain for like paperwork or budgets or anything like just find a person who you know is good at that stuff and and find someone that you can rely on and uh do it with them because I definitely I was so intimidated for so long I was just like I don't know how you put together a film shoot like that seems crazy and like I don't know how you find people who will work for like you know minimum wage essentially (laughs) and uh 
you know, we were, we lucked out so much. We found this like incredible DP who, um, her name is Pip White. She's incredible. And she had gone to AFI. So she had a lot of connections. So we were able to get some people who were students and they came and helped us out. Um, and they were incredible. And so, yeah, it was just sort of, we found really great people. Um, and yeah, they were willing to help out and it was just really fun. So can can you give us some advice as a woman in film where you would like to see us in next year? Like, what do you think are the challenges that we can overcome? Because we can overcome anything. But what would you say is the like maybe two or three things that you can give us to like, hey, let's do this together. What is your call to action? I know it's a loaded question. I ask myself every day. What do I, do? <laughs> I know I'm like, wow, it's a great question. I mean, I think honestly, like, it's, it's just so important to be open and honest with yourself and, uh, you know, accepting help from people. And also just, <laughs> I feel a little weird. Cause I'm like, this is basically the theme of Hocus Pocus, but I really do feel very strongly about it, that it is like, we're so much stronger together. And I think, you know, when you're a writer, when you're a director, you know, when you feel like this is my story, this is my world, I'm in charge of it it can be easy to sort of retreat inward and be like, I'm the only one that can tell this story. I'm the only one that knows anything. (laughs) I feel like that balance of maintaining your vision, but also being open to collaboration is really important. And so surrounding yourself with people that you really trust and finding people that you have that great, honest relationship with that you feel like you can be open with, and you're not having to sort of be delicate, like that you both, you respect each other. I think that's so important. And so, yeah, like finding the people that you like and that you get along with and that you trust and that you work well with and keeping them close and lifting them up and believing in them and, you know, giving them a shot, I feel like is just so important. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Thank you. Next up, if you love film and jewelry, and really, who doesn't? You'll want to hear all about the upcoming inaugural Real Jewels Film Festival. So let's hear about all the details Eve Austin got from Terry Greenberg. Today, we're speaking with Terry Greenberg, who is the owner of Short and Sweet Productions, where she curates and produces special events within the entertainment industry as well as niche photography exhibits. Terry served on the NYWIF Board of Directors for six years and is a former board member of Women in the Arts Media Coalition. Her career spans both film and television. She has been a contributor to New York Film Festival and the Paley Center for Media. And today we will be speaking about Real Jewels, which is a one-day film festival on November 15th, celebrating Hollywood's most iconic on-screen jewelry moments as part of New York City Jewelry Week. This is a result of a collaboration between Terry and Bella Neiman, co-founder of the New York City Jewelry Week. Well, hello, Terry. Hello, Eve. (laughs) Today we'll be speaking about Real Jewels, which is a one-day film festival on November 15th, and it celebrates Hollywood's most iconic screen jewelry moments as part of the New York City Jewelry Week. 
this is a result of a collaboration between uh, Terry and Terry Greenberg and Bella Neiman, co-founder of the New York City Jewelry Week. And uh, Terry, um, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Um, and particularly, I wanted to know, how did uh, Real Jewels co- collaboration come about? Well, so it was the height of COVID, and I was stuck at my home, as everybody else was, and taking a lot of classes online, um, classes that I normally would have taken in real life, you know, throughout the city. But the access that I had to various things, classes on art, classes on travel, classes about Broadway, and classes about jewelry. And uh, two of these classes, one was taught through the 92nd Street Y, and one was taught through Christie's. And um, I would sit at my iPad and look at these jewels and just literally out loud say, oh, my God, because they were fabulous. And they were taught by this lovely woman named Bella Naiman, who uh, was the co-founder of New York City Jewelry Week, which even though it's been in existence for five years, I have never heard of. Nobody I know has ever heard of it either. And I thought, oh, well, that's an interesting thing. And I thought it was just so fascinating that... You know, this woman had a passion for jewelry and parlayed it into a career, like fascinated and impressed. So once once things kind of calmed down a bit during COVID, I thought, you know what, I'm going to just reach out to Bella. And so I sent her an email and I said, you know, I I'm just so grateful for your classes and they so nourished me during COVID. And I'd be wondering I was wondering if you'd be interested in, you know, meeting for lunch. I'd love to take you to lunch just as a thank you. And she said, oh, yeah, sure. So. And in my mind, you know, I've produced several panels for NYWIFT, and I kind of had an agenda. I thought, oh, it would be fabulous to do some kind of collaboration with NYWIFT and Jewelry Week. You know, what could be better, films and jewelry? And so I went with that in mind. And as we were talking, she said, you know, it's interesting that you're with, you know, NYWIFT because I've been kind of wanting to do a film festival as an offshoot of NYC Jewelry Week, but I know nothing about film festivals. I really want to do it. I don't know how they work. I don't know how to put it together. And I looked across the table and I said, I am your person. And that's, that's kind of how it came about. That's wonderful. I don't believe in coincidences in life myself. So yeah, so this is something that was meant to be. And I'm glad it's still nourishing you. It's it's a wonderful thing that we had all of this fabulous material available to us. And I too partook. <laughs> Is that the right name? Yes. <laughs> right I partook in that and I thoroughly enjoyed it and um, grew a lot through it. Um, so I wanted to expand or have you expand on the vision of combining cinema and jewelry. So again, these are, you know, I love cinema. I love jewelry. And, you know, it, throughout the years, I mean, I'm not a costume designer, but I've drooled, as many others have, at the various, you know, pieces of gorgeous jewelry and film, starting from, you know, the 1930s, like, for instance, the women in 1939, or moving on to, you know, in the 50s, there was Sunset Boulevard with Gloria Swanson, and I just saw something that she wore her own gorgeous diamond cuff bracelets in that movie, and just, you know, the jewels have been so fantastic and obviously so defined so many of the characters, and um, I just thought it would be great to, you know, just pursue that. To, to Catch a Thief, you know, Breakfast at Tiffany's, even Top Cappy. Remember that old heist yes. movie, the, uh, the Pink Panther? Yeah. yeah. 
and it's just been consistently through the years, you know, um, Uncut Gems, which was crazy recently with Adam Sandler, that kind of film, which is a whole dark take on the jewelry industry, but still, you know, front and center. Yeah. That fashion and film have always been kind of kissing cousins. Yeah. That's a great way to say it. Yes. Yeah. What films are you presenting at the festival and uh, when and where will they be shown? Well, I'd like to say that the film festival is so free, which is fantastic. Um, so uh, the films we are showing are, uh, because it's a one-day film festival, we had to narrow it down. Of course, this festival could go on for like two weeks, you know, and still it wouldn't, wouldn't be enough. But since it's the inaugural debut of the festival, we condensed it to one day. And so we're starting with Ocean's 8 from 2018, which is the all-female uh, jewelry caper movie with Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett, um, you know, Helena Bonham Carter, Rihanna, Aquafina, Sarah Paulson, Anne Hathaway. And it all takes place, well, you know, it, it takes place uh, around this Cartier necklace that they want to steal at the Met Gala. So it's, it's really fun. And it's New York City, you know, back in the day, which is meaning pre-COVID where everybody was glam and going to these events. And then we're doing the VIPs from 1963 because that's more of a period piece uh, with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. And also because in that movie, Elizabeth Taylor wears her own jewelry and which is only just, you know, a microcosm of her vast collection. But it also offers a great opportunity for talking points you know, since you're talking about Elizabeth Taylor and her jewelry. And then in the afternoon, we're showing a, a documentary. It's the U.S. premiere of a German art house documentary called Hunter from Elsewhere, which is about a contemporary jewelry designer named Helen Britton. And the reason we're showing, part of the reason we're showing that is because her jewelry is currently on view at the Museum of Arts and Design in Manhattan. And so the associate, associate curator whose name is Barbara Paris Gifford, is going to be interviewing the director of that film, um, Elena Alvarez Lutz, after the screening. And so that should be also interesting. So you have, you know, um, Ocean's 8, you have the period piece, and then you have a contemporary documentary. So it's kind of a nice melange, even though it's three films, you know, we thought they would be of interest. And we also have this fabulous woman named Lori Brookins, who's a fashion journalist for, she's freelance, so she works for the Town and Country, The Hollywood Reporter. And she's so knowledgeable about um, film and jewelry. And so she's going to be talking about the films and just, you know, giving some interesting insight into the jewelry shown in those films. Why don't you give us the dates and the times? Yes, the date of Real Jewels is Tuesday, November 15th from 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. It all takes place at the um, Marlene Meyerson JCC in Manhattan, which is on, um, it, the official address is 334 Amsterdam, Amsterdam Avenue at 76th Street. You can come for one film, two films, the whole day, whatever. Well, I mean, this is wonderful. I will be attending. I hope a lot of people oh, will join us. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to meet you. Oh my God, you are so terrific. Thank you, Eve. I really, really appreciate your interest and enthusiasm. Thank you very much. 
Thanks to Jen and Terry for being with us today. And listeners, thank you for tuning in. Be sure you're subscribed so you don't miss more great content from your favorite NYWIFT podcast. Until next time, keep on crushing it.